Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast, coming to you from the beautiful Kirkwood neighborhood. Uh, thank you, as always, Charles McFall, the rock god of podcasting. Thank you for being here. Metron people who are here live, would you please welcome the podcast people? Hello, hello, hello. The podcast is free. All you have to do is link on, and it will. Uh, when there's one in the queue, it will. You'll be alerted, and you already have the app on your phone. So, uh, if if you haven't uh, tapped into the world of podcasts, you need to get in the 21st century. It's 2024, <laughs> and uh, so we appreciate you uh, listening today. All right, let me show you this title. It's going to take a minute to explain this title. Okay. So just bear with me. Our February series, first of all, is the phrase in the garden. Um, of course, that evokes memories of a beautiful hymn. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still in the roses. Be- beautiful hymn written in 1915. Um, I have taught a lot about the Genesis narrative, the Garden of Eden. Come in. I didn't think you were coming. You sent me an offering, so I didn't think that. I thought that meant you weren't coming. Giving and showing up, Jesus. And wearing blue. Come on. (laughs) Um, I've, I've probably spent as much time in the first three chapters of Genesis as I have in the New Testament, because I'm mostly a New Testament uh, speaker. And let me say this before I get into the title. I was thinking about this last night because um, it has been said to me, you know, do you always feel compelled to use the Scriptures? I mean, you know, we would be interested to hear what you say even without that. And I understand their point. I understand what they're saying. But this is what I feel like. I I feel like um, part of my reason for being born was to sort of learn the system and then know enough about the system to deconstruct the system. Um, I'm not trying to equate myself with Picasso, but if you look at some of Picasso's earlier works, he could do the things that Rembrandt did. I mean, he could do... Uh, portraits and uh, the stuff that we would consider more conventional art. He could do landscapes, uh, very uh, accomplished artists. And then later in his career, he sort of took that whole system and turned it uh, on its head. And some people say, well, that's, that's a bunch of nonsense. You know, the people that aren't familiar with modern art would look at it and say, well, I could do that. You know, man's crazy. That, that woman's got three eyes and her nose is on the side of her head. Well, the reason Picasso could do it and they'll sell for $80 million is because he knew the system and then deconstructed the system. I mean, John, you know this even about jazz, like progressive jazz. A lot of these uh, jazz musicians went to Juilliard and they know, you know, they know how to play Bach and Beethoven. Because of their understanding, they can deconstruct it. So I'm always going to be 
referring to the scriptures, even though I'm not a Bible thumper. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody wants to debate the Bible with me. I'm like, no, you win. Whatever you believe. Namaste. I believe what you believe. Because you know what? You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. There's somebody, some, out of one of those writers, there was somebody who's going to help prove your points. So I don't do any of that nonsense. But I do like to go back and rediscover things, and especially the things that keep attracting me. You know, like themes that I've talked about over and over and over again. Why, do, why does that have a magnetism for me? Why do I keep coming back to that? And I'm very intrigued with the Garden, although I'm talking about Garden of Eden. I need to remind you, if indeed Moses even wrote it, we're not even totally sure that Moses had complete authorship of the book of Genesis. But even if he did, you cannot read the book of Genesis as a science book. Please understand, if Moses were to materialize right here beside me, I promise he would back me up on this and say, no, when I said the earth was created in six days, I was being poetic. I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not speaking as a scientist. Of course the earth is older than 6,000 years. Bishop, are you really saying this again? Yes, because there's somebody gonna, be somebody listening to me today that's be saying, well, I thought God created the earth. He did. I believe in a God who's so big he could have created it in six seconds. He didn't need six days. So the, the, when you believe in the ultimate power of God, then you have to look at what, what are the restraints that that God put on himself. And um, so you know all that. I, I probably say these things every time we go back to Genesis. But the reason I wanted you to use the men in black thing and go, boop, you've forgotten everything. I still stand by everything I've ever taught. I just... I don't want you to think of an Adam and an Eve in the garden. I want you to think of you in the garden. This is your garden. Was there literally a garden of Eden? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me if it was literal or figurative. The symbolism, however, is the garden represents the genesis of your life. What was planted in your life? What's in your blueprint? What's in your DNA? What happened to you early on? And not just in your lifetime, but... What happened in your ancestry? What, your, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, all the, all the evolution uh, that brought you to this place, all of it's part of your story. All of it's valid. Hey, bud, come in. All of it, it matters. Um, and I want you to see the Genesis story today as being symbolic of you. This is your experience. You've been given... Uh, the option of the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So that's what I'm saying in the garden, because the it's all about you. Then when I say rethinking righteousness, rethinking righteousness, the, the word righteousness just means rightness. Um, depending on what your theological background is, we all may have different definitions of what is what is righteousness what does righteousness look like um those were you know i told you i mentioned to you about uh justin timberlake singing that song um sanctified they played it again last night before they play saturday night live's regular time slot at 
at uh, 10.30, they play a rerun, and they replayed it. And I watched it again last night. And there'd be some old school people that would find it blasphemous. I thought it was pretty insightful because he's singing it to a lover saying, you're the Savior who, he uses the, the term baptism, communion. It's like all these holy terms. For some reason, it doesn't offend me. I think it's interesting when somebody looks at these concepts from a different angle. I mean, this might shock y'all, but I even used to like Madonna's song, Like a Prayer. And I remember people used to preach against it. You know, that was blasphemous, bring that gospel choir in there singing to that, that whore of Babylon. I'm like, yeah, she is what she is. <laughs> but I always, if you start playing Like a Prayer, I'm like, Hey, listen to this song. And not even a Madonna fan, but I like that song. I like that song, Sanctified. Uh, I'm interested in rethinking words that might have triggered me in the past. Eddie, if I say holiness to you, you automatically are going to have some neuropaths to deal with, just like I would, because if you came from where we came from, holiness meant Women didn't wear makeup. You, you were Kojic. You had that. Holiness had a certain, you had it, Assembly of God. Y'all from all over the place. <laughs> um, uh, holiness was always uh, spoken as a threat when I was growing up. Without holiness, no man will see God. And we never did think we were going to get right. We were so afraid we were going to believe in Calvinism, once saved, always saved. We got saved every Sunday night. Every Sunday night. They give that altar call. I, 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 people get baptized over and over again because they just they say, I don't think it took. <laughs> so when I say rethinking, righteousness is a good word. Uh, I want to rethink it. I want to reown it. I want to rediscover it. Okay? And then... It's in the garden, rethinking righteousness and self-actualizing for success. Self-actualizing means, um, it, in, a, in a sense, it means you come to terms with who you are and who you're supposed to be. Jesus, no matter what you believe about him, if you believe he was God, if you believe he was the son of God, if you, wherever you are, if you believe he was a prophet, you cannot deny that he was, if nothing else, Possibly the first self-actualized man. I mean, he fully embraced who he was. At 12 years old, he disappears for three days and uh, when they're at this thing in Jerusalem and when his mother and stepfather find him, uh, Mary says, how could you do this to us? And he says, how did you not know I had to be about my father's business? I can't imagine. At 12, if I had said that to my parents, I wouldn't be here now speaking to you. Because um, that would be considered back talk. You know, some of y'all, y'all came from a long line of hitters. <laughs> You'd have got your mouth. I wouldn't have got it out of my mouth fully. I'd be like, did you not know I must be about my father? But I would never even, I would have never even gotten to the word business. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us, you know, it's just it's just the truth. We never were never put in time out. 
Time out was the time you were unconscious. You were time out. <laughs> y'all know. I, I know y'all know. Um, but Jesus fully knew who he wasn't. And even when he would say things like, before Abraham was, I am, he wasn't being um, over the top. He really knew that's who he was. And um, so I want to I want to talk about some things, and I, w- I want to do this as a series. That we'll, we won't be here two weeks from today, but um, I want to s- cover some scriptures I may not have ever even. I think I'm going to use this one today. I don't think I've ever used the scripture. Believe it or not, next week will be my 52nd anniversary in the scripture in the ministry. So let's just say I've preached a lot of sermons. I don't think I've ever used this, but let me show you this first one. There's a lot of scripture today. This is Ephesians 1.4. This is out of the Amplified Classic. It says, even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now remember that phrase, because I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit this several times this month. Before the foundation of the world that we should be wholly consecrated and set apart for him and blameless in his sight, even above reproach, before him in love. Um, it was interesting. Jared, I don't even know if you saw this post, but this past Wednesday night, we went to, um, you and your brothers and I went to manuals. We've been meeting every Wednesday night for two years now. We call it, we call it Wednesday night Bible study. We're, we're kind of being funny when we say it, but it, it is sort of a spiritual time for wh- whoever's there between all of their schedules. It's, it's rare that all four of us are there. Anyway, we met there, uh, in my Facebook memories. The next day we had met there the year before and the following days in my Facebook memories, we had met there two years before. And we sat virtually the same place, and all, and all three of y'all were there. And I said, it was just kind of, I don't know what I'm saying about it. It's just kind of synchronistic, because we didn't plan it that way. But why? how did we come back to that three times? And so um, this morning, Robert Rutherford went on there, and he wrote a um, a thing about my sons and my, his connection with them. And... Uh, and I was reminded him, I said, I couldn't even, there'd be no way to tell you how many times I've told my first conversation with Robert, 1981, in the opening sentence, he says, by the way, you're going to have a son first week of August. And I said, I don't think so. I counted up. I said, if that was be the case, my wife would be pregnant right now. And he said, she is. I said, I don't think so. And she was, and Jared was born August 8th, and um, I told you about, you know, when Debbie was pregnant with uh, Judah, they had told us we're going to have a girl in August, I mean a girl in September, y'all heard me tell this a million times, y'all just say it with me, and um, uh, so I called Robert, and I and we were talking, he said, oh, by the way, you're going to have another boy in August. I said, they're saying girl September, like September 9th. He said, I don't care if it's the last day of August, you're having a boy. Judy was born August 31st when she was pregnant with 
Jonah, we had named her <laughs> Elizabeth something. And uh, I called him. I said, are we, are we having a girl? He said, well, you have a girl in your loins. I said, oh. So that's not that this was. And I'm totally happy that Jonah's a boy. I'm just saying that's what we, we were misguided again. So when he said, I have a lot of connection with them. He he means it. He said, I don't really talk to them or anything, but they were, you know, I said, well, it's it's certainly a sign and a wonder to me. And the reason I'm telling you that again is I can totally remember, I was driving by Piedmont Hospital yesterday. I remember Jared and Christine were both born at Piedmont. Judah and Joan were born at Rockdale. And um, I totally remember his birth. I was, I was in the room when all... All four of my children were born, and my first two granddaughters. I wasn't in the room with Clementine because of the C-section. But um, with when Christina had her girls, I was behind a curtain, but I was in. The, I was still coaching her. I'm on the other side, and I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. You know, hang in there. And um, so I'm. I feel very connected, especially because certain things I knew about myself in my life. I, it, I'm amazed that I had children. I mean, it's like, it's like the biggest, it's a big deal for me. When somebody says, you know, you're bragging about your kids all the time on Facebook. I'm like, you think? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it, it means a lot to me. But my point in saying all that is I didn't have to wait till I met him. He didn't have to, I, I remember what he looked like. They put a little blue cap on him and he's shivering he didn't have to say to me i know i don't look like much right now but if you just give me if you just give me a chance i'm gonna grow on you he was already in i as soon as robert said you're gonna have a boy in august i was in love already i'm like got it love him the manifestation was nearly anticlimactic I, the love was already there. Now, let me tell you why this is important. We have put together, not we, but fundamentalists and people who don't know how to rightly divide the scriptures have put together this idea that God is so holy, he just cannot stand you because you're unholy. He's so righteous, he cannot stomach you. So he had to send Jesus to die for you, wounded for your transgressions. And even now, the only way he can even look at you is through the blood of Jesus. Now, nothing against the blood of Jesus, but let me tell you something. When you hear that your entire life, it reiterates some things to you that really makes you feel less than. Like, I'm going to get to heaven, but man, I better keep a low profile. I'm, I'm going to be behind Jesus. And, you know, here's Jesus saying, no, it's necessary that I go away. As a matter of fact, you're going to do greater works than me. You know, the, the la the, Christianity was the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus. It was so not what he came to do. He came to say, I'm, I'm going to be the firstborn among many brethren. I'm self-actualized. I want you to be self-actualized. I'm confident in who I am. I want you to be confident in who you are. I, I'm, I came from the, I want to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want you to be able to walk through your life and say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what I want for you. Not for you to 
stand around and cherish the old rugged cross and tell me how unworthy you are. It's insulting to what I did for you. And then you throw in all the misguided eschatology, the study of last things. It's like, Jesus, when is Jesus ever going to get it right? You know, he says, in John, he says, now the God of this world is cast down. Okay, great. Still don't believe it. Dies on the cross. It is finished. Okay, great. Still don't believe it. You know, he's got to, if you take the book of Revelation literally, he's still got to come back and fight the devil again after a thousand years. It's like, when, Jesus, when are you, when, when are we ever, when's God ever going to like us? You know, it's like Jesus saying, I don't know, I've done everything I can. He just can't stand you. I, I saw, I actually was going to send to Michelle to share it today, but it was a little too grainy. I don't think it would translate well, but it, somebody had posted a picture. It was, it was, it was like a cartoon of God, like, you know, the way usually people picture a Jewish man with a beard. And he's holding a little man up over a flame. And he's saying, um, tell me you love me and you better be sincere about it. And I thought, boy, that little cartoon, that captures, that captures it. Um, for all the people that wanted to argue with me about Jesus saving mankind, I finally, I don't even have that argument anymore. Now I've got to where I just say, look, I believe in the multiverse. Multiple realities. Maybe hell's real for you. I, I I think it's too important to you. If I take it away, you just you seem to be disoriented. You don't know how to just be a good person without the threat of hell. Some of us actually have integrity, but you know, if you need hell, fine. And um, uh, the myth about hell it doesn't really improve behavior. Hell, the hell threat. It just makes you scared all the time. But you're still going to be who you are. <laughs> believe me I grew up with people that believed in hell and they were a hot mess <laughs> um, I'm not mean my parents I'm just saying just the, the system I came out of um, but I remember you know when the scripture says every knee will bow every tongue will confess I used to think what does that mean like for people that die and go to hell they got to Jesus is just going to make him say it just because he just needs to hear that. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I'm in hell and they tell me i got to confess, I'm going to be like, hell no, I'm not going to do it. I'm already in hell. Is it going to get me out of hell? No. Well, then I'm not going to say it. No. But every knee's going to bow. Not these knees. I ain't going down. You sent me to hell? And now you want me to say you're Lord? Hell no. Well, you'll go to a hotter place and help. So what? I mean, what? How how much worse can it get? <laughs> I mean, when you start thinking about those things, you realize how absurd they sound. And those things that you thought when you were sitting in a Sunday school class, I was saying, I don't want to question this, but that seems wrong. How can you tell me God is love, but He's going to eternally punish the majority of mankind? It's, it just there's just a disconnect in that. So Paul comes along and he says, no, he loved you before you got here and had already decided you were right. 
No, he needed Jesus. No, he needed Jesus to convince you of what you should have known just by virtue of the fact that he said, let us make man in our image. Jesus himself said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. I do not like these these cartoons I see or these drawings of, you know, I saw one recently. Um, it was like a little little baby boy running around heaven. It was Jesus saying, Daddy, I'll grow up and I'll pay the price. I'm like, oh my God. No wonder people are so messed up. That's what you, that's, that's your theology. People have got some messed up theology. This is a, if you think this is a political statement, it is what it is, but there's a, you can find it online. There's a video that Mr. Trump is showing at his rallies that literally shows him being sent to the earth. He said, it shows God, God looked for someone to save the earth. And he sent Donald Trump and his, I'm not, I'm not making this up. And as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, for eight years, crazy people sent me videos saying Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Y'all don't have a problem with this? I mean, that's the very definition of Antichrist. You're saying he came to save the world and y'all are showing this in your churches? But you thought, Obama was the Antichrist? What the what? This is why, you know how they say all politics are local? All theology is local too. Now, in the words of Leona, this this, uh, series is for grown folks. So, if what I'm about to tell you, these Today and these follow, subsequent Sundays, if they bother you, you still have some growing up to do. And we love you. Kids are adorable. But this is, this is grown folks up in here. <laughs> that was my favorite thing Leona ever said. One of my favorite things. She said, where else could we go? We can't go to church hearing people talk about that kindergarten stuff. We're grown folks. All right, let me show you this same verse in, uh, this is in the New Living Translation. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He was already, um, what's the word? He, He already had lost objectivity. He'd already said, by virtue of the fact that I'm creating people in my image, they're they're right. They're holy. They're upright. All right. Now this begs the question, what about in sin my mother conceived me? All right. You got to look at the context. David. David was something else, man. David could not get enough action. David had a libido that was off the charts. I don't think, well, I've already talked about David, but you know, he had plenty of wives. He had something going on with Jonathan. I don't think David was gay. Jonathan definitely was. And I'm not trying to be dirty, but you go read that thing. I mean, they took off their clothes and kissed each other and said, I've never had a kiss like this from a woman. I'm like, I mean, you do the math. Was David gay? No, David was just 
sexual. In his old age, when he was dying, he said, I need a young woman to lay in bed with me to keep me warm. He wasn't even trying to have sex with her. He just said, I just need... People said, can we get you an electric blanket? No, I need... I need. Hot water bottle? No. Yeah, young... young a PYT. Um, but what finally got him, and it was not the sex part of it as much as it was the betrayal part, is, you know, he lusts after this woman named Bathsheba, who was the wife of a very devoted friend of his. He brings her into the palace. I mean, just, he didn't even, I mean, it's bad what he does. I mean, it's bad. Even bad guys would go, oh, dude. Who does that? Like he rubs it in the man's face, brings her in, and then has the man killed. And so when Nathan the prophet comes to him and he says, he said there was a man who, he talks about a, a man who had a lamb and somebody, this man had a big flock of sheep, but he stole this one man's lamb. It was the only one that he had. He said, what do you think should be done to him? And David said, some, he said he should be executed or whatever. And Nathan said, you're the man. You had you could you could be with any woman in this kingdom, and you took the the one woman that this man had and and loved, and had him put to death. And it's not just that he was just some random guy; he was really faithful to you. So when David does this mea culpa, you know, purge me with hyssop, wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. You read, it's all Psalm 51. It's in that context that he says, in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, he's he feels so bad about himself. He's like, I'm no good. We took that, well, not we, the church at large took that and turned it into a doctrinal statement. In sin our mothers conceived us. Not necessarily. Well, Bishop, does it Paul say that all are lost in Adam and all are found in Christ? We're going to get to that. But I'm telling you, these are things that need to be purged out of your subconscious because they are affecting your life. They're affecting your health. They're affecting your relationships. Because if you listen, if you don't feel right with God, you don't feel right with yourself, you don't feel right with other people, you don't feel right with the world. When you're unrighteous or unright, you're just you're just wrong. The more you know who you are, the more you know who God is. Righteousness is just a natural flow. Now, let me show you this. This is out of Ecclesiastes, which ironically is written by David's son. Okay, no, 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 it's not. Ecclesiastes is written by uh, Jeremiah. Sorry. Is that right? Solomon wrote Song of Solomon. Jeremiah wrote Ecclesiastes. Scratch that last one. Fix it in the mix. This is Ecclesiastes 7.29 in the Amplified Classic. It says, Behold, this is the only reason for it that I have found. God made man upright. But they, men and women, have sought out many devices for evil. He's not saying evil doesn't exist. 
He's saying it, stop copping out and blaming it on some sin nature that you were born with because you weren't, you're creating the image of God. Now, if you took that creativity and did wrong things with it through the paradigm of the knowledge of good and evil, that's on you. But don't blame that on Adam. Let me show it to you in another translation. This is in the message, Ecclesiastes 7.29. At least this is my experience, what I, the quester, have pieced together as I've tried to make sense of life. But the wisdom I've looked for, I haven't found. I didn't find one man or woman in a thousand worth my while, yet I did spot one ray of light in this murk. God made men and women true and upright. We're the ones who've made a mess of things. Do you already feel your tectonic plates shifting? So I'm telling you, I had to bop you on the head and say, this isn't, this isn't what I've taught you before about Genesis. I'm not doing away with that. This is the next level. You hear me? Thank you. Let me show it to you in um, the Wycliffe Bible. Found it only that God made a man rightful, that God made man right. And then he meddled himself with questions without number. I found only this, that God made a person upright or clear-headed, but then he mixed himself or inmixed himself up with two many questions. Can anybody tell me what the main question would be? Anybody tell me? It's a Genesis question. It's something the Creator asked Adam. Thank you. Which is why, y'all let me teach. <laughs> Bible says women should keep silence in the church. <laughs> well, Sonia, this you. is why, this is why, mm. This is why when I opened up, I said, I'm not talking about the Garden of Eden. I'm talking about you. And me. Come on. Woo. Who told you? Was it society? Was it your family? Was it a teacher in school? Was it a kid on the playground? When did you first hear something wasn't right with you? You thought you were right. Remember the first time maybe you had a racial slur and you had no idea? You're like, wait, what? What's that about? Can you remember the first time? Can you remember the first time you had a homophobic slur? Can you remember the first time you were told something is a woman that made you feel less than? Where you thought, well, I'm fine. What do you, what do you mean? What? I'm fine. And somebody somewhere said, no, you're not. 
Um, and the the people who told you are it's not a one time thing. There are people in your life that will continue to want to remind you that you are naked or whatever. And I'm going to get to I'm going next week. I'm going to get more into Genesis, but let me show you this. This is um, Kay Fairchild, who I've never met. This is just something she posted. It was in my memories this week. It says, Christ, not Adam, represents the whole of mankind. We were in or as Christ from before the foundation of the world. Before we ever thought we were in a fallen Adam, we came here upright. What did Paul say? You're alienated from God in your minds. Some of you sat in churches every Sunday of your life with somebody just recycling, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're unholy, you're, you're less than. And if it wasn't said, it was implied. That's the only way those systems perpetuate. They got to keep making people feel horrible about themselves so that people will keep coming back Thank you, sir. May I have another? You know what's different about just the energy we have in here right now? Not one of you came today because you thought God was going to be mad at you if you didn't. Not one of you came here today because you thought you were going to miss a rapture or go to hell or somebody was going to. You're here strictly because you want to be here. I don't even think, I mean, you love me, but I don't even think you came out of obligation to me. You were just like, well, you know what? I'm going to go today. It feels like the right thing to do. Don't make me speak on tongues in here. All right. Let me, what's, I don't even remember what's next here. Oh, this is just a, a, a Rumi, the poet. I just like this quote. It says, uh, your task is not to seek for love, but to merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Now, what's that got to do with this? Because if we, if we, if we are basing everything on the premise that God is love, if anything in your consciousness makes you feel the slightest bit unworthy, you have to remove that. Now listen, not feeling unworthy does not mean you feel better than somebody else. Don't get it twisted. Listen, enough love to go around. There's enough God to go around. There's enough goodness to go around. There are enough blessings to go around. There are enough miracles to go around. You deserve to get yours. I'm telling you, it, people have been impregnated in the garden of their heart with this idea. Shh, keep a low profile. You don't need to get yours. Don't be too much. Don't be over the top. 
you, you might take something away from somebody else. How could Jesus stand in a group of people who were clamoring over him? People touching him and say, who touched me? And his disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching. He said, no, somebody touched me and they took virtue out of me. And he wasn't mad at her. He didn't say, who do you think you are? Come get in my virtue. He's basically saying, yeah, y'all all touched me, but this, this woman was desperate and she, this was her last, what do they call it? A Hail Mary pass? Like, that's just like, this is all I got. I'm going for it. Guess what? It worked. When you go back and read that in Mark chapter five, I mean, think about what this woman has been through. You know, under Moses, like Moses, Bless his heart. Moses didn't seem to like women very much. So much of his law was just so hard on women. And he was totally grossed out by the menstrual cycle because he said, I'm not being indelicate here. Moses, that's why if somebody wants to get mosaic on me, I'm like, you really want to do Moses? Well, let me just ask you, does your wife sleep in the garage when she's on her cycle? Because Moses said, you have to put her out of the camp. Doesn't that happen every month? Can you imagine what a drag that would be? You're already feeling a little PMS, and you're like, I think it's about that time. Out of the camp. I mean, have you ever thought about that? It's horrible. And, and, and any place she had been or sat has to be sterilized. Like, what is the, you're like so phobic about it. It's not that I like talking about it that much, but it doesn't gross me out. I know it's just a part of the natural birth cycle. It happens. Moses didn't like it. Why do you think Jesus comes along and he says, you've heard a lot of stuff. I'm going to tell you two things to remember. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what about when she's on her cycle? The stuff that people, that religious people obsess over when they, when they, you know, are faced with love and they're going, but the verses, I've got the verses. These verses say this. Oh, baby, your verses are adorable. But God is love. That's how Jesus was self-actualized. I mean, we don't think this is a big deal, but when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field one day, they're hungry, so the, the men start taking the tops off the grain and eating it. Well, Pharisees are scandalized by that and call Jesus on it. Now, these, these men clearly had no life. How were they? There were no cameras then. How were they seeing Jesus? Everything. So they they call him on it and they say, "You're look what your men are doing." And Jesus, he doesn't say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot, I forgot." 
Moses' law says you're not supposed to do that. Now, you guys, y'all should know better. No, he says, let me tell you something. It was unlawful to eat the showbread in the temple, but when David and his men came back from hunting, they were hungry, so they ate it. One of the worst whippings I ever got when I was a kid. It's after communion one day. I went, you know, my parents out talking to people. So I went behind the thing and there was still cups and bread in there that were left over. Never occurred to me I wasn't supposed to do that. So I'm chowing down the crackers because it's, it's going to be a while before we go and I'm drinking the little cup. I'm not taking anything. I mean, they've already, they did the communion. All I'm seeing is some grape juice and crackers. Let me tell you something. I never did that again. Sweet Jesus in the morning. <laughs> I was I was promised a whipping after because we had church on Sunday night. I don't I don't want to whip you before church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you after service. So the whole service, I'm, I go to the altar. <laughs> I'm praying. On the way home, I said. Mom, I think I really had a touch from God. Good, because you're about to get a touch from me. And he did. He was good for his word. He never promised a whipping that he didn't follow through with. I never did that again. Where was Jesus when I needed him? Jesus should have said, David and his men did this, and it was unlawful. Leave that boy alone. Where were you, Jesus? <laughs> but... It's not that Jesus was just um, trampling on the law, but he, he basically comes along and says, there's no way any of you are ever going to be able to do this. You've heard an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. I say if you even hated your brother, you're a murderer. Well, then what are we supposed to do with that? You've got to stop obsessing over what law told me I was naked or less than or not good enough or unrighteous. Now listen, I'm not saying that everybody should just do whatever is they jolly well please and say, I'm right with God. You, but Of course, you have to live in the world. Really, when you look at the Ten Commandments, they're just basically, they're not even that lofty. They're just basic. I mean, if you're just a law-abiding citizen, you've got about six of them already, you're already doing. And in all of the religions, there's a general um, similarity with that. Like, yeah, just you have to coexist with people, so don't kill them, don't steal from them, <laughs> leave their spouse alone. These are just these are just basic. They're just ways to to live and move in society. And Jesus said, if you just love people. These will all be taken care of. The, the law is completely fulfilled. But you know what? There's a uh, a verse, and I may look at it before we leave here this morning. It's in Romans, where Paul says, the strength of sin is the law. Because everybody's, everybody's got their own garden. Everybody's got their own little Ten Commandments. you got things going on in your life that you don't think are that big a deal that other people might. Right? But you, you're like, oh, I know my heart. It's amazing. And it probably doesn't. But you don't want other people to know. Because they might not be as 
open-minded. But you know what? They got theirs too. Um, when I look at the way modern evangelicals pick and choose which which things they're going to be uh, vocal about, I think that's ooh, that's a slippery slope because where's it going? Where's it going to go next? You start legislating righteousness to other people who don't interpret God the way that you do, because now. A lot of these Christian nationalists are coming out. They they want a theocracy. They're not even being they're not even being uh, uh, clandestine. Is that the word? Uh, they're not even they're not hiding it. I mean, I'm literally hearing people say, "We don't want a democracy anymore. We want a theocracy." And I think, let me tell you what's scary. Have you ever read the Bible? I mean, where, where are we going to draw the line? Are we just going to go New Testament? Because if we're going to if we're going to drag Moses into it, Moses said, "If you have a son who lives at home and does not work for a living, take and does not pull his weight and contribute to the household, take him by the hand and bring him to the elders of the city and let them stone him with stones until he is dead." Is that where we're going? That's what you want? We're really going to go theocracy? Because according to Moses' law, if your husband finds out you weren't a virgin when he married you, you can be put to death. Is that where we're going, theocracy? Are we just going to do Jesus? Because if we're going to do Jesus, Jesus Jesus says, uh, if you've even fantasized about adultery, you've committed it. So are we going with Jesus? Well, I just, I want to, I believe the Bible. Which part of it? Well, the Bible's very clear. No, it's not. If the Bible very clear, there wouldn't be 46,000 Christian denominations. It's clearly unclear. <laughs> so when people say, I want a theocracy, let me tell you something, that's, that's scary talk to me. To me, Separation of church and state is a good thing, a holy thing, that for whatever you think about the founding fathers, and yes, I know most of them were slave owners, I know all of that, but their ideas of the kingdom of God is something we use to form a more perfect union. None of us wants to go anywhere. We're like, America's got some issues, but... Best place in the world. We got to work it out. Form a more perfect union. But even those men, if you want to argue that they came here for religious freedom, that's the very definition of religious freedom. We will not establish a state church. Well, it didn't mean freedom from religion. Yes, it did. <laughs> that's what freedom means. Freedom means you're allowed to be an atheist. I remember, I've told you this before, but when the previous president was elected, they had this women's march. And it's the second time I'm mentioning Madonna today. Madonna gets up on the microphone and says, F Donald Trump. 
I'm looking at that. Ah, that's unfortunate. You just gave, you just gave the right a soundbite they can use. And I'm, I'm reading people that I, were, I was their pastor for years. I'm reading their comments. She needs to be put in jail. She should be executed. And I, I want to go. Okay, I'm not being an apologist for Madonna, but first of all, seriously, Madonna surprises you. I mean, she's been, she's been on the scenes as. <laughs> First time I ever saw her was in 1984, rolling around on the stage in a wedding dress singing like a virgin. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> Secondly, is it disrespectful? Yes. But, buddy, you better hope they don't put her in jail for that. Because if they could, what's the next thing they could put you in jail for? You need to say, I hate that woman. I can't stand that woman. I don't want to listen to her music, but I don't want to put her in jail because this is supposed to be a place where free speech, as obnoxious as it is, it may not be your brand of free speech, but it's supposed to be covered in this thing that I consider pretty holy. It's called the Constitution of the United States. And it was based on being a book that was not the Bible. No, this country was founded on Judeo-Christian ethic. No, come on, man. Every culture in the world was founded on, you know, don't steal, don't kill. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just morality or civics. Um, let me tell you what democracy, there was a, a man who, uh, squandered all of his inheritance, uh, humiliated the family, finally ends up in a pigsty. He says, even the hired hands on my father's place, they live better than this. I'm going to go back to my father and ask if I can, he'll just hire me to be one of his servants. The father sees him coming afar off, runs to him, falls on his neck, kisses him, puts a robe on his back and a ring on his hand. This is this is like encouraging bad behavior. Man, do you not know this this somebody needs to put this guy in some counseling or some therapy. He put the ring on his hand. You know what kind of guy he is? He's gonna hot this thing and go buy pick up some more chicks. Like he's always spending on riotous living. And the elder brother comes along and says, Why 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 is there a party going on? Why did y'all kill the fatted calf? Well, your brother has come home, and he's like, what the what? I've been here all along. I've never done any of this. Y'all never threw a party for me? Theocracy would say, kill that kid. I'm sure Moses had some law. <laughs> that would. Democracy says, he has. A, you may not like it, but he has protection. He has, he has a voice. I don't like it. I don't either. But guess what? It could be me next week that needs fair treatment. Theocracy is a dangerous, dark place to go because everybody's got their idea of God. Even New Testament people. I mean, Paul supported slavery in the New Testament. He just did. I said that one time and somebody said, where is that? And I showed him the reference. I said, it's not that hard to find. Just Google it. He said, if you're a slave, 
and you become a believer and your uh, master is also a believer, don't assume he's going to release you and don't assume that he's not superior to you because he is. I mean, people who were against the abolitionist movement used that verse of scripture, including some black preachers. So if we're going to go theocracy, really? We want, we want to do that? We really want to go there? Well, Bible says sodomites should be stoned. You want a list of how many people should be stoned? You're on that list. Pretty much your entire family is. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I studied the scriptures. Because it's not like I just came along here in the year 2024 and said, let me tell you what I think about. No, I mean, I've spent my entire life Bible, studying the Bible, going to Bible college, running a Bible school, teaching several times a week for my entire life. Even when I took vacation, I'm still teaching. Even now, if I feel like it, I'll be like, ah, it's nearly 11-11. Maybe I'll share a word tonight. People say to me, why do you do that? Because I got something to say. I've been studying this a long time. If, I, if I'm going to live out the years it's going to take me to say everything that I've got to say, I'm going to have to live my 120 years. That's why i got to stay healthy. I have a check up my annual physical tomorrow. <laughs> I got on the scales this morning. I was like, oh, he's going to yell at me. But I'm going to go. And that nurse that I don't like, because she, oh, I'm going to tell her, you're the one that makes my blood pressure go up. Because when she slaps that thing on me, she's like stares at me with these judgmental eyes. And if she doesn't like the numbers, she's like, it's high. I'm like, it's high because I'm scared of you. When I see you approaching with that cuff, I'm like, you're, you're triggering me, lady. I need the happy nurse that comes in like, you're going to have a great reading today, not Nurse Ratched coming along here. You're, you're making it high. <laughs> but my point is, I still have stuff to say. I can't retire yet because I have more things that still need to be said. There are more things that still need to be deconstructed. I don't want you to throw your Bibles away. I want your Bibles to stop oppressing you. I want you to be able to enjoy God. I don't want to... Listen, when I go to this thing a couple of weeks, I'll be, I'll be happy to do that. I'm looking forward to it. Like I'll put, put on a collar and a robe and do that. and I'll enjoy the music. And it's like, I'm, I'm not against any of that. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm glad I got invited. Yay. Love it. I'm going to put a comma right here. But we're going to, if you can believe this, we're actually going to go a little deeper next Sunday because I want to go, I'm going to take you to Revelation next Sunday where he talks about the people that worship the beast versus the people who worship the lamb. And he says they were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. This is where the doctrine of predestination came from that really put a lot of people in let me tell you something. When you try to interpret the scriptures without love and mercy and compassion, 
that letter will kill every time. It's deadly. But um, I want to look at that because the, the beast worshipers and the lamb worshipers are not two different groups of people. Ecclesiastes says you came here as a lamb, but you did some beastly things. That's a sneak preview. Coming attractions. Let's all stand. Did you get anything out of this today? (laughs) BJ's running the aisles. Yeah, I don't think I've ever taught that verse out of Ecclesiastes, but it's Man, I felt it even when I, when I said it. Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't, it doesn't make you love Jesus any less. It makes you understand what the atonement was. The, the, the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. Absolutely. Yeah. It changes everything. Yeah. It, it, it changes Absolutely. Everything. how we think of ourselves. Absolutely. That's, if you didn't hear what Larry said, he said he was referencing where Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And we do. And you're right. And that's, that's precisely why, why I want to teach this this week. Because your theology is affecting you in every other area of your life. You don't realize that it is. But if you have a sense of unworthiness, it'll, it'll affect everything. It'll affect your finances. It'll affect your job performance. It'll affect your relationships. Uh, because you, you feel you, like any good thing that happens to you, you feel like you don't deserve it. Or that you can't enjoy it. I remember even like being around older people in the church who would frown on laughing too much. Because if you laugh like that, laugh's going to turn into a cry. Bible says, speaks out against foolish jesting. It's like there it was just this idea that you can't even be happy. Like you are, you've already taken all the fun away. Now I can't, can I, can I even be happy? No. <laughs> So that's why I want to go into the heart of the earth and refocus us in some ways. Uh, please remain standing. Let's show the... And then if you got something you want to say, you can say it. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit missionthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you have a check, make it to JESM, and if you have cash, just pay it forward to somebody. Somebody tell me, what did you hear today? What was your... What's your takeaway from it? Or you just want to wait until we talk about it some more? Let's talk about it some more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is good. I just want to say I was wrong. 
that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. It was? Yes. Why was I saying? I was thinking about Lamentation, which was by Jeremiah. I was too. Well, no, you didn't make me second guess myself. I thought it too because I thought, wait a minute. But yes, of course, Solomon wrote it. What? Of course. Which is is to my point, the son of David. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, you see. Um, this is better than any counseling arena or therapy mm, arena. That's good. Because in here you get solution-focused therapy, you get evidence-based therapy, you get cognitive-based therapy. Right, yeah. right. What? Yes. Don't even try to say anything after that. She just raised the bar. She raised the bar too high. Thank you. Thank you. You know, one of the um, best things I've ever heard people say to me over the years, and I've heard it a lot, is, when you're teaching, I feel like it's just you and me in a room talking, and I have questions I want to ask you, and you answer them, and, and it's like, that's, to me, that's very supernatural. And I do think it is therapeutic, because you don't realize how much fear of God, fear of being wrong, fear of being less than, it's in your subconscious, you know? things, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Keeps you from dreaming, keeps you from using your imagination. Keeps you from taking risks. Yeah, absolutely. Beth? I, this is really, I, I don't know how to say how all this has helped me. You know, even like PC said, I've been, I've, I've been diagnosed with chronic PTSD. I see a therapist twice a month. This, and reframing in my head, in my spirit, all of the teaching that I had, getting kicked out of Bible college twice because I was gay. So much, even issues with my father before I died, he died. Mm -hmm. This has helped me as much as my therapy has. Mm -hmm. This has helped bring other healing that has made that more effective. Yeah. Charles, are we offline because I want to say something else? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, those of you who are watching it. I love you, Zenas, because I want to say something.